welcome to Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. We're here weekly in the One World Trade Center podcast studio. And I am here this week. I'm Laura Redman, in case you were wondering about my sweet tone. I am the Deputy Digital Director of Traveler US, and I'm here today with Megan Sprell, our community editor. Hi. And Alex Postman, our features director. Hi there. And these are both regulars, too. You should know the three of us by now, I hope, if you're listening to Travelog. We're here on one of my favorite topics of the year. It's to dissect our annual Where to Go Next Year list, the 19 best places to go in 2019. So as you can tell, numerically, we do this every year and we bump it up as the year goes on. And this time, we tag-teamed with our uh, buddies in the UK, Traveler UK, double L, and we shared intel. We talked about their lists, our lists, where we were all looking, where our readers were interested in. And uh, so we had a much broader view of it, of the world this year. I really, really, really like where we landed. And Megan and Alex were a big part of this list. So to start, 19 places, very, very diverse. It's not like half of our list is North American. The hardest list to trim down was for Asia when I started looking at it. We all had a lot, a lot of picks in Asia, and I'd say about six of ours are across the continent. Interestingly, Bhutan on the list this year, which, Alex, maybe you and I can pick apart a little. Singapore, if you hadn't heard of it, then you haven't seen Crazy Rich Asians. (laughs) Japan is going to have a big year, we think. Even though the Olympics are coming in 2020, we're going to make a case for why you should forget about that, or at least postpone that trip and consider going this coming year, and a whole lot more. But... I guess I want to start kind of asking you guys, was there a place on this list when someone suggested it, you were like, oh, I'm going there next year. I have to do this. Well, I would really love to get to Tahiti and French Polynesia in general. As a magazine, we have not covered that part of the world in a long time. We used to refer to Bora Bora as Bora Boring because <laughs> once you get there, unless you really love suntanning and, you know, paddle boarding or something or diving, um, might not be for you, but there's so much happening that's making it increasingly interesting, not least of which is it's so much easier to get there now. Oh, it's um, ridiculous. Th- there are a number of new flights out of San Francisco from United, and there's a French low-cost carrier. French B. French B, mm-hmm. um, which B-E-E can now E-E get like you there the fairly buzz. cheaply. It's <laughs> only eight hours from the West Coast, which, you know, to get to, like, a tiny silver dollar-shaped island, like, crystal, surrounded by crystal water, it's really not bad. In addition to a couple of new hotel properties, which I'll talk about in a second, the thing that I am smitten with is the idea of living in a traditional Tahitian guest house for a week. And the Tahitian tourist board is now overseeing the rentals like this. Um, They range from like little like beachfront shacks to like beautiful villas um, on the hills. And you can so you can rent these guest houses um, through the Tahitian tourist board. But excitingly, there's other stuff going on. Guy Laliberté, who's the founder of Cirque du Soleil, um, has a hotel opening up this summer called Nukutapipi. (laughs) How much did you say that? That is very (laughs) fancy. Actually, more like a more like a a buyout villa. You have to rent the entire thing, but gorgeous, not far from the main island of Tahiti. Do you know how many people like when you go to these villas? Am I bringing a family of? 
floor of I think we're doing everything. Twenty. I think I, I think you can. It's it's like Airbnb. You can okay. find like a dollar rate, and yes. if you pay that, you can do whatever you want with it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it just feels like the closest thing to paradise to me. Mm-hmm. And now that it's so much easier to get there, I would totally do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the West Coast, it, it's a shorter trip than if you wanted to go to France, right? I go, mean, oh, completely. Yeah. It's, and it's you feel like you're in wild. France because they speak French. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You also, Meg, you had a good island pick too in the Philippines. Sir Gao. How do you say Sir Gao? I'm hoping it's Sir Gao. We're okay. going to go with Sir Gao. Sir, we're going to go with Sir Gao. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's another place that, like, is just this, you know, screensaver paradise, white sand, clear water, beautiful reefs. And there are just so many different islands, but people keep going to the same ones because it can be tricky to get from island to island. And that was something I definitely experienced there. But once you get somewhere, like, you can, there are just so many different places to have your own bit of sand. And I feel like Sir Gao is still kind of, you know, it's become developed enough where, there are beautiful resorts you can stay in. There are like flights three times a day from Manila or Cebu, um, and you can get international flights into there. But once you get there, there are just fewer people than like in the Boracays or even Palawan, and it still has like it. It still feels very kind of untouched in a way. Um, even though there are people going now, it's just on a different level than like any of the others. And um, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's like there are really healthy reefs. So if you like to snorkel or dive or anything, like it's so healthy, such a healthy island. And I think um, people have started going over the past few years and are definitely going to pick up. So I like that somewhere that if I'm going back to the Philippines anytime soon, I'm definitely going there first before everyone else does. Well, you make an interesting point that it's kind of, it's not quite Boracay, thankfully, right? Yeah. Boracay and Palawan were both islands that were at the top of our Reader's Choice Award lists over the last few years. Mm -hmm. This year, Sirgao was. Mm -hmm. So like props to our readers for getting out there and being kind of forward thinking um we don't you know we we want people to travel responsibly too mm-hmm. right you wrote a really good story about boracay and how it has become over touristed it just really didn't have the infrastructure to support the number of people going and the government wasn't doing the right thing by the island and its people but Sirgao feels like the opposite of that yeah well and i also think something about boracay is it's like it's a tiny tiny island so it was having like it was one of the most touristed islands but it was it's like just a few miles across and places like Sirgao are much bigger. They are harder to get to. So you can't have that kind of mass tour bus tourism coming in. Not, you know, I'm not convinced that won't change, but it has been harder to get to. And that's been a really good thing for it. And I think it also just kind of speaks to like, instead of going to Boracay or Cebu, you can go to like Palawan is huge. So if you go there, there are a bunch of different areas you can go to where no one else is going. Sirgao is another example of that. It's a much bigger area and you can kind of spread out and like you can get there on a plane with a bunch of other tourists and then kind of all go your different directions. And it has the space to do that. And I think, you know, as like some people still want to go to the Boracays and the same places that they've always heard of. And if you kind of break from that, you can get, you know, the experience that you originally were going to an island for. You said you can go through Manila and Cebu? And Cebu, yeah. There's okay. like three flights per day, last I checked. Um, which again, it's it's a little bit of a longer journey, uh, depending on where you're coming from. But once you're getting to Manila or somewhere, you're going to have to do some additional journey to get to a great island anyway. And the fact there are these commercial carriers is really great. It's not like some islands where you have to have a boat and it takes, you know, a lot longer. So it's kind of that right balance of hard enough to get to to weed people out, but still convenient enough. I mean, if you're going for a week, that's not, it's not a crazy journey. 
You could also tack it on to another one of our mm -hmm. destinations. You could go to Singapore, fly in and out, mm -hmm. use that as the hub, and then jump over to the Philippines for a few days. And if you wanted to get like real island time, because you're not going to get island time in Singapore, even though it is ostensibly an island. Um, but you're going to Singapore for like the food, for the shopping. Um, the reason it's on our list this year, in addition to it having this craze around crazy rich Asians, that's not quite just it. There's so many good openings in the coming year. The Raffles Hotel, which is this really iconic spot um, has been completely redone and that'll be opening in 2019 that we've been thinking about that talking about that for I think years now and uh, Six Senses has kind of doubled down on Singapore there's a spot on Maxwell Maxwell is right in Chinatown which is where I used to work I love that area it's right by uh, the Maxwell Food Center which is one of the best hawker centers or I was gonna say tell us about the chili crab oh my god well okay <laughs> sad fact I didn't eat I don't really eat uh, seafood it? What? I, I did not know that. Yeah, I'm admitting this oh, on wow. air. I know. And I lived there for like over a year. Um, yeah. Wow. I hear <laughs> the chili crab is outstanding. I hear the chili crab is outstanding. That's the main reason I want to go to S Singapore is to eat this chili crab. But you go uh, from my best uh, foodie resources, you go to uh, Geelong to get it. But there's so many good spots. There's the East Coast, Geelong. I can't talk about this realistically, but I can tell you where to get really good roti. You should check online, check our Singapore guide. But I think you could package that trip pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. And if you really wanted to blow out kind of a massive month long trip, you could also add um, Australia. It's all mm -hmm. kind of like Australasia. Mm -hmm. And one other place on our list um, that Aaron Florio and I were really kind of pushing for were um, the Whitsunday Islands in Australia with Brisbane as an entry point. And so I'll talk about Brisbane in a second, which has kind of been like you talk about Bora boring, you know, <laughs> Brisbane, Brisbane boring, Brisbane boring. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the Whitsundays are just these gorgeous islands on the central to southern part of the Barrier Reef. And you can get there through any of the major cities, whether it's uh, Cairns to the north, which is the main the main entry point, if you were going to go scuba or snorkel the Barrier Reef, you would probably start there, but it's also super touristed. You might end up on a giant pontoon boat with like 80 other travelers who just want to strap on a snorkel for an hour and say they did it. <laughs> but you can do these sailing trips around the Whit Sundays farther south, and you can be on a boat for three nights, or you can go to one of these gorgeous, like, of a lifetime resorts. Um, there's one called Elysian that's opening this mm -hmm. month that... I don't know if I had all the money in the world. I don't. I hope I don't need all the money in the world, but it just looks amazing. It's its own little private cove surrounded by rainforest, and you get to use the uh, resort's private boat to go out and snorkel and scuba. You can go on that boat to Whitehaven Beach, which is, I think we named it, and multiple other outlets have named it one of the prettiest beaches in the world. I was going to say, talk about like a screensaver. That's like the perfect white sand. Yeah, it's made of silica. Which really? Is, yeah, yeah. It's completely silica, so it's finer than sand, and it squeaks really loudly when oh, you walk it, on it. It sings when you mm -hmm. step. And it's so, the water is so shallow there. I remember, God, it was either stingrays or reef sharks. They're both pretty benign, but you, you're just kind of right there in the water, and they're just swimming around. And, oh, my God. Yeah. Sounds amazing. It's, it's wow. unreal. It's, every time I've gone to Australia, I've tried to go to the Whitsunday Islands. And then Brisbane is one of the closest big cities to the islands, and it... I mean, it's been just like kind of a business hub. You haven't really tacked it onto a trip if you go out there for your first or second time to Australia. But there are all these all these really kind of cool city hotels opening. There's a new W that one of our readers uh, and writers, Chris Ann Fordham, has 
been talking up that has these like I don't know it's a W but it's a W with like extra extra style and they have these giant 10 gallon tubs in the hotel rooms that are uh, kind of reminiscent of the tub you would use in the Outback um, they have a really cool Aussie high tea with Milo and like all these fun <laughs> like eclairs and wait I, is Milo the chocolate milk yeah yeah oh yeah it's like a chocolate malt drink it's better than chocolate so there is the W, there's a place called the Khalil. I remember, I think maybe you and I chat about it briefly. Uh, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Please tweet at me, PR <laughs> people of the Khalil. But it's another cool hotel on James Street. It just, there are places to stay. You don't have to just pass through Brisbane now. And what, what are you doing when you're in Brisbane? Like, I'm not super familiar with Australia, but what's... So city specific, I haven't hung out there a ton, but there are lots of really good easy trips you can do right from it. Fraser mm. Island is nearby, mm. which you can do a day trip or you can do an overnight. Um, it's a very, it's a pretty diverse typography. They have, um, front, let's see, huge dunes. I saw dingoes when I was there. They had these um, saltwater pools amid the dunes. So you kind of wow. go hiking. There's Aboriginal um, carvings on some of the rock that you don't, you know, don't climb on, obviously. And if you go to Uluru in the middle, don't climb on that either. <laughs> um, respect the aboriginals. And it's just, it's very diverse and small. You could do it easily from mm -hmm. Brisbane. But I want to get to know Brisbane better. I had a chip at my shoulder about that place. And maybe this is the year to check it out. Hmm. So there's a few islands on our mm -hmm. list. Meg, was there anywhere that really, like, sparked you? You're like, ugh. I can't believe I've never been there. You said you wanted to take your family to some of these places. Well, I, my mom sent the cutest Christmas wish list this year. We have been texting like what we want. And my mom was like, to see you guys at Christmas and for help planning our 2019 family vacation. And I was like, well, do I have a list for you? Um, so I actually was looking at the list and I was like, I've never been to China. I know Chengdu is one of our spots, which kind of felt interesting. Um, I also... My family actually did Puerto Rico for our trip last summer, which is one of the places we had on our list this year. And um, I mean, I know I've been, but I can't talk enough about how much other people should go. I think just like post-hurricane, it the island could use some love and it also is very ready to have tourists. And it has some really exciting things happening in 2019, aka Hamilton starring Lin-Manuel Miranda on the island. And there are still tickets, which you couldn't get in New York even if you sold your firstborn. So when is the run? When is the, it it's in January from, I think the 8th to the 23rd at the University of San Juan in Puerto Rico. And um, there were tickets that were like only for Puerto Ricans that all sold out. But I thought that was really cool how he did that. And then there are tickets that are left that are $5,000 and they are sold by his Flamboyant Arts Fund. And $4,600 of every ticket price will go directly back into restoring arts on the island. And then for you know, the 400 that's spent like getting you that seat, you're sitting at Hamilton. And after the show, they're doing like a VIP dinner um, hosted by Jose Andres, who his World Central Kitchen was, it's this amazing organization he's been running, doing a lot of meals for people in, in need. So like after the hurricanes, he went down to Puerto Rico and was cooking for all the people there who were without power and without gas and everything. I know after Hurricane Florence, he immediately was in the Carolinas. Um, but I think he'll, the, wi the wildfires in California. The too, wildfires in California. Yeah, he's out there. Um, really amazing. And I actually, there are rumors that he was nominated for a Nobel Prize for his work. That's um, badass. Which is amazing yeah. and also well-deserved. Um, but yeah, so you would get a meal hosted by him. Like it's 
I feel like a no-brainer. And if you're in the U.S., getting to Puerto Rico is so affordable. And there are also some hotels like um, Dorado Beach, which is the Ritz-Carlton Reserve. They're also doing packages that include a ticket to the show. Um, but I, I love the Flamboyant Arts Fund tickets because you know exactly how much is going back to the island and feel pretty good about doing something that selfishly we all would want to do. I love that Puerto Rico's on the list this year because I feel like it also had Zika going against it for a little while. Like the island just couldn't catch a break at all. Yeah. And I, I just think the island in general, like I feel like the Caribbean has had a certain vibe for a while or people think of it in just one way. And like Puerto Rico's definitely had a cultural renaissance after this because a different type of traveler is wanting to go there. And I think it's like a broader swath of travelers. And that's made it really interesting because you know, people are just trying to get all different kinds of people to come visit the island. And that's led to a lot of exciting things happening with restaurants and new types of hotels. Yeah, and it's, it's so much not, it's not just beaches, mm -hmm. right? It's like there's a rainforest and old San Juan mm -hmm. is like amazing restaurants and beautiful cafes. architecture yeah, yeah. that did survive, yeah. like gorgeous architecture. And, you know, on the West Coast, you have like Rincon, which is the surf area and definitely has kind of like that surf town vibe where you can stay in a really cute house and even if you don't surf you could just like go and be out on the beach every day and eat fresh seafood and it's like you know that dream and that also is like a couple hour drive from San Juan where you fly in so so also uh, thinking closer to home we had a few other places on our list this year we have uh, the Grand Canyon which I thought was interesting it's I so, love that I know it, it's I mean it's been around a hundred years as a national park and the park will celebrate its centennial this coming year so that means they're going to do a little bit more of everything right more tours more events um, they'll have historic uh, uh, lectures and things like that but one of our writers uh, Nina Han recommended going and doing a hike down into the canyon um, they started to do this once and couldn't finish it I was not <laughs> brave enough because um, it, it could be a steep hike at certain parts but you can go all the way down to the base of the canyon, overnight there for a night or two, and hike back up. And there are a couple different points along the rim, like the north rim, which won't be open until May because of the weather, but there's a really kind of rugged, I think, 4,000-foot descent um, that you can do there. You can also do these kind of more leisurely walks where it's you on a narrow trail, and every now and then someone on a mule will come up behind you, and you have to kind of press up against the side. But it's such a kind of incredible way to get even closer to this thing that you're really only just like standing and looking at kind of awestruck for a little bit trying to get the right photo you never can and then you go have a drink at the lodge nearby yeah, it's only when you're down in it that you realize just how grand the grand canyon right. is have I, you done it i have i've hiked down the bright angel trail oh yeah um which is it's like little switchbacks and donkeys that pass you <laughs> um but i would also recommend rafting the colorado river through the grand canyon wow. it is one of the most sublime experiences and um not on one of those those big pontoon boats that has a motor, but paddles and oars. Wow. Um, I mean, you have to go through a, an outfitter, um, and I think they book up, you know, well, you know, a year, Over a year in advance or more. Advance, yeah. But it's it's amazing. You camp out on the side of the river, and like the first few days, we started out pitching tents, and then we're like, why bother? You could just unroll your sleeping bag on the sand and just look at the stars and look at the canyon. It's incredible. I really recommend it. Did you do that with your whole crew? With your family? I'd, no, uh, pre-kids. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't take kids on that kind of a trip until they're teens because you really are, it's like, it's work. I know. Yeah. I feel like in when I was in high school or college, so that's when a lot of friends started going with their family and I felt like that was an appropriate age. And it's also, you know, you're like stuck together on a raft in a good way. Like yeah. you're just forced to do that because that's what you're doing together. And I don't know, we, we did a gallery a while ago about um, touristy places in the U.S. that we actually love and... 
I was like so adamant about the Grand Canyon because that is however you experience it. I feel like that makes me like, I don't know, brings out this like, wow, how is this in our backyard? Like it's, it all strikes you every time. It reminds you how big and diverse all the different parts of the country are. And Arizona Mm -hmm. especially has some of the most gorgeous canyons and like Antelope Canyon, all the Mm -hmm. Navajo lands. And I don't know, Grand Canyon South Rim I just I could go back to every year. Yeah, yeah. It never stops being incredible, and yeah, it impacts you, can, you every time. You can zip line it. I don't know. That's a thing now. You can bungee jump into it from a helicopter. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> There's a glass bridge you can walk over. I might pass on the bungee jumping from the helicopter. <laughs> Have you done that? Uh, no, but would you? List. Would you? I totally would. Yeah. Wow. All right. I'm holding you I'm to impressed. that. Yeah. 2020. <laughs> All right. Next big birthday. <laughs> And then also in the U.S., um, we have Houston this year. Which also so exciting. Yeah, it's good for Houston. It's um, We have a native Dallas site, Dallasian. How do you say it mm, when you're from yeah, Dallas? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mayor. Um, <laughs> Mayor Carey on our team, who typically, if you ask someone from Dallas what they think of Houston, they just kind of go like, meh. <laughs> but she was all for it this year. Um, again, it's great to see Houston kind of come back after the hurricanes. Mm-hmm. I think it was two or three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but next year is the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And the NASA Center down there is going to be like redone, have a, have big events. It's just kind of going to be exciting. You know, it's a global event that we can all celebrate. And Houston was the epicenter of part of it. I see Houston, we have a problem. T-shirts everywhere. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Also, the food scene's so good. The art scene's so good. The Manila Institute is opening a new drawing institute, um, which will be the first of its kind in the U.S. I feel like people don't realize how good the art scene is down there, but they, there's a lot you might not realize about Houston. It's also one of the most diverse cities I was gonna say, in the I country. Like compared to Austin as well, like that's been the cool Texan city to go to. And Austin is you know, kind of a Portland in a way where it's like, it's, it's cool, but it's a lot of the same type of cool. And... Houston, like I hear of so many people who are like foregoing a trip to Austin to go to Houston where there's such diversity, so many different kinds of food, like so many different music scenes. It just feels like it's everything is bigger in Texas, but it's Houston's really the center of that right now. And you have to be okay with the fact that you may drive there, right? I mean, it's sprawling. Uber everywhere. Uber everywhere. It's kind of like Atlanta where, you know, A to B may take you 20 minutes. But like you said, each neighborhood is so distinctive and you're really getting like you could go just for salsa in this one neighborhood and then I don't know you'll go to these like leafy beautiful residential areas that have these little galleries and museums tucked in so I've never been to Houston but I remember we did a story on um, a Houston bar crawl which was surprising so I think it has a really sort of thriving craft cocktail scene for which you should uber and not drive right (laughs) (laughs) we had a story GQ did a story I think in the last year or so kind of giving it its props to we did it first though so you know. <laughs> All right. Where else? Oh, big places on the list. Mag, you just made a face. Oh, what do you uh, want to talk about? Bolivia face? Yeah. <laughs> talk about Bolivia. Bolivia. Well, I know Alex and I both were excited about it. And I think I love South America. I love Latin America. I feel like I focus a lot of my traveling there. And Bolivia is a place that I feel like hasn't gotten a lot of love for a long time because it just shares borders and like topography with a lot of places around it that have just had more resources for travelers in the past. So it's like, 
if you want to go to the Andes, you can go to Peru and you have Machu Picchu in these places that you already know you want to go to. You can go to some really incredible lodge in the north of Chile or in wine country in Argentina. And I think when people are thinking of a certain type of like Andean experience, they think of those places because Bolivia is more expensive to fly into. It's there are fewer flights than these other destinations. It's, you know, just fewer North Americans have been going there. And I think it's kind of now that the other places have become so popular, like all of its neighbors have, it's kind of getting, it's so interesting because it feels less discovered by people like us. And that's really amazing. Like it has Lake Titicaca, which is the incredible, like, I think it's like the world's highest lake and it's shared with Peru. And both sides have this really unique indigenous culture. You have huge mountains that you can go and summit. You have like in La Paz, this bustling energy and it feels just like, there's not another Latin American city like that. It's super high elevation. It's kind of like in a little bowl and it's just so colorful. You'll see like animals walking everywhere and there's a witch's market. And then... Wait, what's a witch's market? Oh my gosh. It's... <laughs> you know I love, you love my witch witches. stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like a market that is... is it's in like over a few different streets and it's where they sell like all the supplies for different like rituals you might do. So there are like... This is a little alarming to see, especially for any vegetarians, but there are like dried llama fetuses hanging What? because there are like when you build any building there, you're supposed to give an offering to Pachamama, like Mother Earth, before you do so. And that usually involves like on a construction site the night before you build it, everyone comes who's going to be building it and like drinks and you like pour some drinks into the on the ground, pour one out um, (laughs) and you you put like these different offerings, little candles and things, and you will put the like llama fetus in there. It's supposed to give like the earth energy to protect the building. So it's like, there are a lot of different like indigenous rituals like that. When you walk through the streets, there are all these like dried llama fetuses hanging that you can purchase, which is wild. But it's like, that's, you're not gonna see that in, you know, Lima or Santiago, Chile, or like the other big cities around Latin America. And like Bolivia has that, energy like that's one of the most popular places in and La don't Paz. forget to talk about that cool so, uh, bubble hotel so i was gonna say all this is to say like those are all <laughs> things that always had that weren't getting enough love but in the salt flats which i'm sure most people know it's like this just incredible feat of nature in the south of bolivia where there's just like it's so expansive the entire ground is white sometimes it covers with a like thin layer of water and creates mirror impact it's this beautiful area that again has just like felt hard to get to and there's this lodge coming that like is reason alone to go to bolivia it's a kachi lodge and it's going to be i mean alex you're even more familiar with it than i am but there's like little basically on this incredible like white salt flat there are going to be these little like bubble structures and you can rent your own bubble kind of like what you see in areas with the northern lights where it's like the top of it is see-through and so you can see the night sky which of course out there in the middle of this desert like the stars are amazing and there just has never been a luxury lodge there before so it's like you should be going to Bolivia just to do that but also there are so many other things to see and it's I think it's just an exciting time for a country that hasn't had as many travelers as its neighbors. Now I feel like I've seen a lot of the salt flats and the Atacama desert mm-hmm. are they can you do both of those in one trip they're like right next to each other okay. so often outfitters will have them like as a combination trip the atacama desert like also crosses over into chile that's the thing with bolivia it shares all these things with its neighbors and everyone goes to its neighbors and it's bolivia's turn but it, <laughs> the atacama desert like most people will go to chile for it but you can you can combine that trip there right there a lot of people do um and they're like there's some great places to stay in atacama i feel like and again my instagram feed has been full of 
people going on honeymoons there. And is Bolivia doing something? Are they upping their tourism game or their new flights? How do you get there? I haven't heard about any new flights. I mean, you can fly into La Paz. Um, I actually think, even though we're making a case for a trip to Bolivia for Bolivia, like, you know, if you fly into like Lima, for example, Lima is one of the most affordable places with the most flights to fly into in all of Latin America. Um, It's a huge hub and for a lot of different airlines and you can easily fly in there, spend a couple days like, you know, having incredible food and then hop over to Bolivia and it'll be a lot easier and then do your whole Bolivian journey and kind of go the same way out. You can fly into La Paz, but it's like this, those flights are usually much more expensive and less convenient and delays the whole thing. So at least in my experience. Okay. All right. From here, Mm -hmm. I give you choice. Do you want to go to Europe or do you want to go to Africa? I Africa. Either, but I say Africa. Africa. All right, let's go Africa. Africa has some of, the, I think, are the, some of the most exciting reasons to go this year. And totally. Alex, I feel like, well, Namibia to start. Namibia is having this crazy year from a travel editor's perspective. I mean, there's so much going on there. So Namibia is a a long, skinny country in southern Africa on the west coast, and. The landscape is completely different from Central or Eastern Africa. It's desert. It's like red dirt. And you've probably seen some of these really dramatic pictures on Instagram with like very like stark black trees and red earth. It has great infrastructure, though. Great roads. It's easy to drive. Road tripping around Namibia is, is like something that, that people are doing. You fly into Windhoek. Um, <laughs> it was colonized by Germans and there's still... It's, I haven't been, but I hear in Windhoek there's actually... It's like little Germany. <laughs> like you Wait, get German heard, food, yes. you get beer and... Yeah, very German still. Um, but you can drive up the coast called the Skeleton Coast. And along this area... It's a long, deserted coastline that has a lot of shipwreck debris in it. And along there is one of the most notable openings, Shipwreck Lodge. Um, Natural Selections is a really cool, interesting safari company that's been opening some some like unusual properties. And these are little cabins that sort of are designed to look like, like little pieces of ships, like the prow of a ship. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it works. They're wooden um, with like glass windows and sides. And there's kind of nothing to do there. I mean, it's, it's super isolated. And these, but these beautifully decorated little cabins and you sit in there and you just stare at the landscape and you walk around. And I've heard that it's so quiet, it's almost deafening. Um, but amazingly, there is some wildlife here so-called safari isn't going to be the main reason you're going to go to this part in Namibia, but um, they're desert-adapted elephants, and I don't know that they're giraffe around here, but actually there's a Natural Selections open another property about six hours away from there called Honeb Valley Lodge. Are those the tented camps? Tented camp, okay. yeah. And those that's also a desert environment, and it's a really giraffe-dense area. It's sort of actually a giraffe conservation area, and so the amazing thing happens where an elephant will will come out and kind of like dig a hole in the ground to get water and then other animals you know come over and drink um yeah so it's wow. it's a pretty cool and unusual safari experience at these two places and are you up close in the middle of all of that you know if you're staying in this tent do you hear giraffe kind of rustling around when the sun starts to come up yeah i i don't know how close they get but you know one of the activities there is to go out in a you know in a jeep and and do a a traditional safari cultural experiences are also a big part of this the local population or the himba people 
and there are villages that you can visit and a lot of it is just really sort of pristine and untouched and not that heavily touristed. Okay, so if you're going to Namibia, it's not quite a traditional safari, but are you, would you say you're going for this kind of otherworldly, you know, sand dunes, almost like Gobi Desert style um, escape in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I think you're you're going for the landscape, which is just unlike any other place on Earth. And the wildlife is kind of, it's cool to have, especially in that environment, but it's, you're, the density isn't going to be the same as a, a safari in, in South Africa or East Africa somewhere. Would you tack on a trip to South Africa from Namibia? Yeah, I think it's easy. Actually, Johannesburg is going to be your hub to fly to Namibia or to fly to Cape Town or anywhere else in South Africa, Kruger. Yeah, so you could do both. Good, because I keep thinking, why do one week when I could do two or three? (laughs) Right. Yeah, if you're going to go that far. Then total other end of the country. Other end of Africa. Egypt. Continent, excuse me. Egypt. Um, People are going back to Egypt. Yay. Yay. It's so exciting. I mean, we've been talking about Egypt for a couple of years because tourists have really stayed away because there had been a terrorism threat a few years ago. It really has quieted down for at least three years. And I mean, people say that it's like it has been so empty. I mean, it's incredibly sad, but like you can go and see the pyramids and not stand on a line. It's sort of like be there like when the Victorians first started visiting it. And in Cairo, there are there's really exciting news with the opening in March of the um, the Grand Egyptian Museum, which contains, I think, most notably, like basically the entire tomb of King Tutankhamun. Yep, wow. Five, it's something like five thousand pieces artifacts, which you might have seen bits and pieces of this at museums around the world for years now, but this is the first time this entire collection will be on display. And I mean, this is where I want to go. Yeah, next year. Yeah. Totally. If I could. Um, yeah. I was going to say, this is somewhere I want to go next year, but realistically would go in like two years or something. Because mm-hmm. I feel like it's a big trip to plan, you know, unless you have like a specialist really pulling it all together for you. This is probably a good opportunity to reach out to a specialist, I think, because mm-hmm. yeah. there's also a cruise you can do on the Nile. I was going to say, that's a great ugh. way to see, you know, the, go through the Valley of the Kings down to Aswan. Um, there's a, a, I know that Viking runs a ship along the Nile cruise liner sanctuary retreats um is doing weekly sailings or you can also go in one of those old-fashioned i think they're called a dahabea okay um which is like a sort of old-fashioned sort of dow type ship with the sort of striped sails you've seen pictures of them where you can sail a lot sail up the nile right it goes the other way i think i don't know i haven't been i want to know do you go (laughs) up or down (laughs) yeah and make stops along the way okay at you know different uh, ancient sites Okay. Yeah, sounds amazing. So would you go in and out of Cairo then, and then maybe start, you go to Giza, and then you get to the museum. The museum itself, by the way, sorry, I'm also kind of an art freak, but the building is supposed to be massive. This is like, Mm. this is Louvre level. It's supposed to be the largest archaeological collection in the world. And so this is a big deal for Egypt, I think, in general. And I don't know, like all these, um, there's so many restoration projects Mm -hmm. that have been happening. They have tuts like face masks and bejeweled everything and chariots that he was carried on yeah i remember when king tut came to new york a couple of decades ago (laughs) a long time ago but the lines were around the corner and it's all there in this museum Mm -hmm. well and i think it's like egypt is one of those destinations just everyone has to go in their lifetime you have to visit and it feels like now such a good moment the fact that there it's getting easier to go 
but there still are less crowds, like that little sweet spot of somewhere that you've probably always wanted to go anyway. Yeah. At least I have. And from what we hear, places like the Sphinx and the pyramids that, you know, it's another tourist attraction that is an attraction for a reason. There's nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. It is, is going to, I don't know, take your breath away. Cliche, cliche, but... It's like the Grand Canyon. Right. I mean, when yeah. you finally get there, it's just awesome. And those are the places that are always the most exciting where like, you know, we have some islands or things where it's the new version of this thing we've already loved. And then you have some that just like, there's no substitute. You can, if you want that experience, you have to go there. And so, I mean, you might as well start planning it. It's, I mean, nothing else will compare to that. All right. I kind of want to close out on one or two more. And I think we should talk about Japan. I was also going to say we could mention that Turkey's so close to Egypt. You oh, can combine God, those good two. point. Mm-hmm. All right, zoom out. And let's, then, let's go. Another good reason well, to get back, right? I mean, yeah. Istanbul has had a rough, rough go for a few years. Uh, again, with terrorist attacks a few years ago. And, you know, th- its currency dropping and political coups. You know, there's all kinds of things going on that headline-wise might intimidate you. But over the last year, we've really, we've been talking to... We've been going, we've been talking to specialists, we've been talking to our readers, and it's okay to go back to Istanbul. Please go there. And they're getting a brand new airport. It's going to be, again, we keep talking about the biggest things in the world, one of the biggest airports in the world, and they just opened phase one in October, and they will be opening another phase in late December, we think. Um, That's what they say. It'll become like one of the biggest crossroads in the world, right, in the way that Dubai has become the way that Heathrow is, it, it will rival those airports. So you may just end up flying through Istanbul if you're going from Europe beyond. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's a good, I mean, beyond like the, you know, actual things that you should be seeing in Turkey already. It's such a good entry point too. if you want to go to Egypt, if you want to go to these different places in Asia, if you want to go to anywhere on our list in Europe, like Palermo or... Oh, that's a good point. We haven't talked about Europe at all. Sorry, you're at Palermo, Berlin. Palermo's having a cultural renaissance. We make a case for it. Berlin is celebrating 100 years of Bauhaus. If you it's always a good idea to go to Berlin anyway, right. I think. There's a, lot, there's a lot happening in both those cities right now. Um, but I think Istanbul especially, and then a little, just a touch outside Bodrum on the coast, kind of a historically a glitzy, ritzy beach town, but... It's also a great place to tack on to a larger trip to Turkey. There's a new addition hotel there. Oh, that's um, right. Triggers. Yeah. A, the Mandarin Oriental has just been renovated. And then um, a huge uh, Six Senses spa just opened. What is up with Six Senses? Yeah, they're expanding everywhere. But this is a, like a real like deep wellness immersion. It actually had been briefly a Canyon Ranch. Um, so really set up to, as a medical spa facility. And so Six Senses, which is known for just its really comprehensive um, approach to to health and wellness, took it over and it opened this summer, this past summer. Okay. Yeah. They're also opening a ton, five resorts in Bhutan, which is another big reason we put Bhutan on our Good list. Good segue. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Connecting dots <laughs> in my brain. I've talked to you about it. I've talked to a bunch of different colleagues. That's the place that none of us have been. Because it's not easy to go. No, it's not. You have to pay a lot of money. You have to. I mean, they limit over tourism by requiring a, a tourism fee. Like a daily fee or yeah. something, right? Yeah, and it's, it's not small. It's 200 like, to 250 yeah. bucks a day right. per person. So if yeah. you go with a family, there yeah. you go. But, you know, when we, were ta- when we did the over tourism package, something we kept talking about is... One of our specialists, Walter Keats, was talking about how in Nepal, he said that um, the national flower is the plastic bottle. Like when you are hiking, there is just 
there's a lot of trash. Like there's such an impact from so many tourists and which is really sad. And I hope that like can be redirected. But he was saying, then you go to Bhutan and you're getting a like a similar geography an amazing cultural experience. And it's flawless. Like it's immaculate. There's none of that because they put these restrictions. So it again is the kind of place that like you might have to plan further in advance to go. But once you get there, you're getting the thing you came for and you're not getting some version of it that's kind of already been destroyed by other travelers and it's not like that tax is just you know on top of all of the other fees that you pay on a normal vacation it includes your accommodation a guide for your Mm -hmm. entire time there it includes meals um, it includes transit from the airport it's a baseline at least three-star experience from what we've reported out but if you want to add to it and stay at like a really uh, a luxe place like six senses you just pay a little more on top of that Mm -hmm. and it's just it just sounds like Shangri-La, you know, it, like you're saying, to imagine a place that pristine where the culture is still preserved that you can still visit and feel engaged in and like they are telling you their truth and you are not just like trampling all over it. Like that, that sounds amazing. Well, and then, you know, like you're you're working with local providers, which is such an, another thing that if you want to be a responsible tourist, like you want to support that infrastructure in the country and you're forced to when you go to Bhutan. And like, I think that must be so rewarding and you can actually feel good about it, not kind of wonder what's what's actually happening with your money. I think we talk about responsible tourism that way all the time. Like, where's your money going in Bhutan? You know that. Right. I also like how, um, well, Amman was the first to do this, to mm-hmm. create a circuit of five different properties that you can travel among. And so Six Senses is... Um, I think the first one opens, it's been pushed, but I think it opens early 2019. Yeah, I think February they but were talking But in about. like beautiful traditional buildings um, that are actually pretty small. And you're going to be hiking and visiting mountain monasteries or Buddhist monasteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them must be near the Tiger's Nest, which is sort of like the bucket list thing to see in Bhutan, which is a, like a, a beautiful monastery, but way, way up on a mountain peak that you have to hike to. It's the yeah. one that you see in every photo. Yeah. yeah. It's the one that's like clinging precariously that like, to yeah. the edge of a cliff. Pinterest photo. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And oh, the outdoor, like you could do a crazy 11 day trek in the Himalayas. You could, you could also just go bird watching in a pine forest. I mean, it sounds awesome. Okay. We're starting. <laughs> I feel like every time we say something, I feel more and more like NPR. It's like, wow. <laughs> well, I'm just like, oh, gotta go. I know. I want to go all these places. Mm-hmm. Okay. Zooming back to, can we talk about Japan okay. now? Mm-hmm. We need to talk about Japan. Okay. I haven't been to Japan. I'm sad to admit that. Yeah, I haven't either. And it, I feel embarrassed. It's, I'm, we're missing out. I know. And it keeps, I don't know. It's Tokyo has topped our list of the best cities in the world, Reader's Choice Awards for the last two or three years. It is a massive, diverse, you know, massive bustling city. But people are arguing. They're like, well, why are you talking about it in 2019? The Olympics are coming to Tokyo in 2020. Shouldn't I just go then? Who yeah. wants to be there during the Olympics? It's like, you know, <laughs> I mean, Japan, it, it's I, I have been. It's amazing how what a small country it is. And yet how much space is given over to nature. But I would not want to be there during the Olympics with everybody else. But w- a couple cool things are happening there. In Kyoto, which is the traditional sort of capital of temples and shrines and beautiful like wooden buildings, it kind of has this growing hipster scene. Mm-hmm. And um, Ace Hotel is opening its first Asian property in Kyoto next year. Oh, I didn't realize year. it was its first yes. ever. Um, designed by Kengo Kuma, the, the notable Japanese architect. And so that's like Kyoto has this really like vibrant 
art scene, like a lot of young creatives are drawn there. You can also stay in in like a, a Machia townhouse, one of those like two-story wooden buildings. It's like gorgeous. So Kyoto's sort of having a moment. Well, it has a, a growing um, gin scene too, right? It already yeah. has a sake scene. Well, like, you know, the Japanese are so good at sort of taking, sort of importing a foreign trend or you know and doing it better cough, you know it's like whiskey. blue jeans or right. yeah yeah <laughs> or like you know look vinyl record bars or or mm-hmm. coffee whatever yeah so there is there is like a craft gin scene there also and then next starting next spring in the Cedo Island Sea there's going to be this this um triennial art festival where on all of these islands I think there's there's sort of temporary art exhibits that are that are set up some land art some some temporary exhibits I think that you can you can go around and um and see so and it's only been around since 2010 it's a contemporary art festival but it sounds very cool and it's starting to get more and more notice and people are going just for it and imagine island hopping and seeing these like public art installations wherever you go or like crazy wild contemporary art yep such a different way to island hop too (laughs) right yeah exactly you're not like you're not beaching it you Mm -hmm. could beach it Okinawa has some of the most beautiful beaches, mm. if you ask mm-hmm. Catherine Legray, one of our colleagues who lived there. And a surf scene. The surf scene? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And weirdly, because a lot of American military live there, it has, a, yeah, it has this kind of like unusually, like very sort of Western laid back vibe, but inserted into Japanese culture. But also, I mean, there's the food, the Michelin starred meals you can get. Yeah. Know. It's also just so easy to get around Japan. I mean, the train system, obviously like one of the best on the planet but works um, <laughs> right i mean just you can get um you know between kyoto and tokyo on a bullet train in like an hour and a half and um the main cities have subway systems and it's just it's super easy to to travel there on your own you don't need a specialist at all do you feel like the language barrier is an issue for first timers yeah i mean when i was in kyoto we did a lot of pantomime in restaurants and stuff but actually it's amazing i mean it really is actually had an entire meal where I had no idea what I was eating. And um, you just have to rely on different senses, you know? <laughs> but that's kind of yeah, yeah, that's the best part. Yeah, of isn't that why yeah. we do it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Are there any other places you want to call out before we wrap up? Because you can, admittedly, read all about this on our website, cntraveler.com. But it's more fun kind of dissecting why we want to go to each of them and why they made our list. I think we often talk about places having a moment. It often starts with a rash of new hotels and resorts coming to a place, making it easier for people to, you know, settle in a spot and explore from there. That's one of our indicators. But it might just be like it's showing up in your Instagram feed all the time. There's a massive new museum that's going to draw people all from all over the world, you know. So we love looking at those trends and moments and calling them out. And that's why we do this every year. And we're really excited about this year's list. And we think it's pretty awesome. We hope you do, too. Okay, so... Thank you, Megan and Alex, for coming and talking with me about all these amazing destinations. And I want you listeners, please, to tweet at us. Tell us where we get it right, where we get it wrong, what did we forget. Tweet, Facebook, Instagram. We're on all the social media platforms. You can also find this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're at cntraveler.com. And we personally are all over the Internet. Uh, Ladies, can we go around and say where we can find you on social media, and where you're actually going next year. In addition to all these places we want to go, where have you booked a trip anywhere? Let's start, Megan. Um, I'm starting the new year. Um, 
south of the border in the Guadalupe Valley in Mexico, one of my favorite places in the world, um, which I know is in our recent issue as well. I'm going to be going to Colombia on our Women Who Travel trip, which I'm very excited about. And I need to get booking on my other trips. I've only planned out through February. So, Oh, I'm glad you um, mentioned Women Who Travel, though. Please, please um, look out for our Women Who Travel podcast, which also airs weekly, hosted by Meredith Carey and Lale Arakoglu. It's awesome. And I think Megan tweet at her. You, she can tell mm-hmm. you all about our new trips. We have Women Who Travel trips rolling out in 2019. We already have one booked to Columbia. It's mm-hmm. sold out in 24 hours. And we have more coming. Yeah, which are very exciting. Um, we have a Facebook group, Women Who Travel. You can find us there. Get the podcast there as well. Check it all out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Megan Spirell or on Instagram as Spirelli. Alex, how about you? So I am looking to go to Iguazu Falls. Ooh. I've never been, but on the Argentinian side, okay. um, there's a cool new hotel, Oasi Iguazu. And then you can travel around the, the sort of the marshy region called the littoral region of Argentina. And, you know, there are birds and wild cats and stuff. So that's where I'm hoping to go uh, late winter. And you can find me at WordMover on Instagram. Awesome. And I am Laura underscore Redman on Instagram. And I am heading to Portugal in a few weeks, Lisbon and Porto for the very first time. So tell me your recommendations. And then San Diego and L.A. from there. So I hope you all have a happy holidays and a lot of opportunities to travel in 2019. Thanks. Take care.